Romans 7, 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning, Redemption Tempe. Well, my name is Jim Mullins. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and I do not always do announcements with a frozen turkey in my hand, but today is a different day. We're doing it today. Uh, we wanted to welcome you here to our time of corporate worship uh, as, a, as, a, as a church as we seek to make disciples who live all of life, all for Jesus. Um, I just have a, a few announcements uh, this morning. The first announcement is that Redemption Women is coming up this week. So we have a monthly gathering for women uh, called Redemption Women. It's on the, the second Wednesday of every month at 10 a.m. in the morning and 6.30 p.m. at night. You get to choose uh, which one you come to, and it's a good time to connect with other women. Um, the other announcement is that this Wednesday, starting this Wednesday, we have a two-week parenting class. This is going to be a good um, class for parents or prospective parents. Uh, it's two weeks. It's going to be at 6.30 p.m. Ryan and Janet Arneson will be teaching it, um, and they do a great job. I've, I've got this policy in my life that if I'm ever going to ask advice about how to cook meat or parenting, I've mentioned this before, I go to Ryan. So he'll be talking about the parenting piece um, this Wednesday and the following Wednesday, which brings us to meat, right? Um, we have the opportunity, the privilege to do our turkey drive again next week, and I'm pretty pumped up about it. This is an exciting time of the year where we partner with the Rio Vista Center. And what they try to do is they try to provide Thanksgiving meals for those who can't afford it. And so they throw a big feast and they gather um, a bunch of families there. And then the families are able to enjoy some good food. And then they send them home with a frozen turkey and with some other food so that they can kind of have a meal as a family. And we as a church, we've said... We want to step up. We're going we're gonna to help. We've committed to, to providing 300 frozen turkeys for them. So basically, here's what we're saying. Next week, we want so many frozen turkeys around, because we're doing the pickup next week, that it's going to strike heart, the fear in the hearts of turkeys everywhere. <laughs> we, want, we want a reputation to go around the whole state that turkeys don't even want to come near Redemption Church, or else they'll end up like this. So let's have hundreds and hundreds of turkeys. Go to the store, pick up a turkey, 
bring it here. There'll be a truck to drop it off on. You won't have to hold it all service and hold it awkwardly like I'm doing now. Um, But basically, we want next week, when we do the turkey drive, to be a very bad day for turkeys, but a very good day for families um, in Arizona. So next week, bring your turkey. Um, And we do this because we want to be a blessing to the city. Uh, so it's important that we're generous. And another way that we seek to be a blessing to the city, to our neighbors, is through our work. We really want to honor people in their vocational lives and pray for them. So that's why we do these all-of-life interviews. So we're going to do another one today, and we're going to welcome up Brett Brooks. Go ahead and give him a hand. So Brett Brooks is one of my favorite guys to talk about a theology of work and how to love others through work. So I'm, I'm thankful that we get to take our conversation that we have kind of and bring 300 other people into it. So, yeah, definitely. Fun. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I work for Troon Golf. Um, are there any golfers at, at church today? There's a, a couple. All right. The rest are out on the course right now, so hopefully they'll be at the 7 o'clock or, yeah. or 5 o'clock. But um, no, so I work for Troon, and what we are is a, uh, we're the world's largest uh, golf management company. So we are in um, about uh, 28 states and 27 countries around the world. Uh, we manage golf courses here locally, about uh, 15 total. And so we're a third-party operator uh, to basically make sure that those clubs are, are successful um, in, in their businesses. Um, and so for Troon, what I do um, here, our offices are up at uh, up in Scottsdale, at the Kierland Commons area. But what I do for Troon is um, I do marketing communications and then also business development, um, essentially uh, supporting our facilities uh, with marketing and then also uh, essentially creating marketing partnerships with other brands and businesses that may want to leverage our reach to our golfer um, and to, to that customer and then essentially deliver a message to them. That's great. Well, Ephesians 5.1, we've talked about this before, says that we're to be imitators of God. So what does it look like for you to reflect some aspect of God's character through your work? Yeah, so um, first of all, to kind of like to zoom out and look at it like more broad, because it, 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 that's what really motivates me when I think about this conversation. And then I kind of try to apply it to how it actually affects my work and what I do. But like if, if you think of the golf industry in general around the country, Every year it has an economic impact of $68 billion, um, and then it creates 2 million jobs around the country. And then this is really cool. There's $4 billion um, that's raised for charities um, through the golf industry. So, so those are all really awesome numbers and really cool impacts that it has um, on people who essentially depend on golf for their livelihood. So really, you, you think of business, I mean, that's, that's good. You know, business is good. It gives people careers, you know, for golf, for instance. Um, and then, it, you know, it sends their kids to school. It, it, it provides for them. So just in general, like being a part of a company, and I think that everyone here that is in the business world or works for a company um, can identify with this no matter what your role is, is that you're part of this, this engine of your company of, of being successful and, and creating profits um, that essentially bless people in those ways. And so when I think about a high level like that, it really gets me excited of like, okay, how, how can my role essentially help my company to be, to be more profitable because it just blesses the people that are a part of it and even the, the communities that, that it's a part of. So so your question of how, it spe- how I specifically can reflect God and, and his image, 
I think one, with, with marketing and, and public relations, oftentimes there can be a lot of spin or even some you know, mistruth or things like that. So if I can deliver a marketing message that is um, filled with truth and, and honesty, and if I'm prudent in the promises that we're making, because essentially when you're doing marketing, you're, you're making a promise and you're saying, we're going to deliver on this. Um, I see God in that. I, I see God's promises all throughout Scripture and, and how he makes good on his promises. And he doesn't take advantage of us. And I, I think of the people that we market to and not looking at them as just like a demographic that we're trying to push the message out to, but thinking about them as, you know, people made in the image of God and that we're, we're supposed to esteem them and, and respect them and not take advantage to them because of them. Because, you know, marketing can really play to people's feelings of discontentment and even create, create that. Um, but I think there's that tension there of, of being persuasive in, in marketing without kind of exploiting people's uh, weaknesses and letting sin creep in in that sense. Yeah. Um, so really, you know, I feel like we're all a part of a pretty complex marketplace, uh, which even the marketplace is good. It, it meets people's needs. And so me as a marketer, what I can do is if someone has a certain need, I'm communicating a message to let them know how to meet that need and, and where to meet that need. Um, and what greater need is there than playing golf on the weekends or throughout mm-hmm. the week, right? That's good. Tell us a little bit about, you know, Jesus says to love our neighbor. We often think that of, of that in interpersonal terms. But you can also love your neighbor through the work that you do. Uh, how do you do that? Yeah, well, so first I think of golf. I mean, we see so many examples all around our city here with so many golf courses. But they're, they're beautiful places. And they're built on, you know, God's canvas of creation. And, and they even show man's own creativity and, and ingenuity where you can take uh, an area of land and shape it and contour it and, and manicure it to be these you know, beautiful places, these beautiful gardens where you can play a game and, and it brings people together and you can spend time with your family and with your friends on these golf courses and, and it really becomes a place to, to relax and, and rejuvenate, which I think is really important in our, in our culture to be able to get away um, kind of from the hustle and the bustle and go to a peaceful and, and a calm place. So I think golf certainly serves people in, in that way. Um, and then also for, for Trun, for instance, um, we never had a, uh, a corporate responsibility program. And so that uh, was able to be a part of starting one of those within our company and um, essentially um, raising money for charity and being a part of that $4 billion um, number. Um, in fact, right now, uh, all the Trun courses in the Valley are raising money for Phoenix Children's Hospital. So um, if you're looking to play at a golf course, Think about a Troon course because we're doing a Hit the Green program and we're going to raise um, over $50,000 over the next few weeks for Phoenix Children's. Um, so that, you know, those are kind of real tangible ways that we can use golf and leverage uh, the golf courses to be places that, that bless the city and bless the community. That's good. Hey, would you raise your hand if you are involved with uh, marketing or PR or anything like that? Great. I'm going to go ahead and pray for uh, Brett. I'm going to pray for you right now. We appreciate the work you do. God, we thank you uh, for those that you have called and sent into marketing and PR and that you have uh, chosen them to be communicators. You are a God who communicates. They're people who put out promises, and you are a faithful God who keeps your promises. And God, we pray that they would reflect you with honesty, integrity, with truth, that you would bless them, that they would be a blessing to many. Uh, And God, that you uh, would... 
We just pray that you would show your glory to them and through them in the marketplace. Thank you for the restful places that folks like uh, uh, Brett uh, create um, uh, through golf and those sorts of things. Because you are a good God who gives us rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you guys thank them again? All right. Hey, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, We have been traveling through the book of Romans, and we will continue to do such this morning. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, that's where we're going to be at this morning, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised high. Someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the copy that we're handing out to you this morning so that you can follow along as well as uh, keep it at home. Hold your spot there. Um, I got one other announcement for us as a congregation uh, that I believe is important for us. Um, In short, what we have been doing for the past uh, two years, um, for those of you guys who have only been here for maybe less than a year, this is, you know what, just for me, raise your hand. And keep your hand raised if you're still holding it for a Bible too. But raise your hand if you've been at Redemption less than a year. Wow, so quite a few of you guys. So two years ago, uh, we transitioned where we, our lead pastor here ended up planning a church in San Francisco. And then I transitioned to be the lead pastor here. Uh, currently at that moment, we end up having three elders and we added two other elders. Um, and we have five elders now. And we've been praying over those two years for two more guys to be able to come along the process. And we believe that God has brought those two guys that are going to be starting the process. Now, when I say starting the process, um, these guys are not elders already, but they're going to be, they've nominated themselves to, to uh, go through the process of which we will look at them, how they care for their wives, um, how they meet the, the qualities and attributes that God gives us um, in his word and, and First Timothy as well as Titus um, over the next several months and a year, or however long that process takes. And so I want to be able to bring them on stage so you guys can see them and hear for them as they enter in that process literally beginning today. So if you guys put your hands together for Andy Carrillo and Benjamin Jensen. All right, um, just real quick, if you guys can introduce yourselves, uh, your names, uh, names of your wives, children, um, and just a, little, just a little bit about um, why you want to become an elder here um, in Tempe. So that's a new question, um, and so you guys can answer it relatively quick because I want to preach for a long time today. So. My name is Andy Carrillo. <clears throat> My wife, uh, Cindy, and I have been married... Well, actually, Ricardo asked us in the last hour, how long have you been married? And I, as a joke, looked at her and said, how many years has it been? But then I confidently said, it's 34 years. And when I sat down afterwards, she leans over to me and says, it's 35 years. (laughs) (laughs) To which I uh, promptly said, see how time flies when you're having fun? (laughs) But anyway, Cindy and I have uh, four kids. Um, uh, Tony, our oldest, lives in Long Beach, California. Mike? Uh, is, goes out to uh, Gateway, um, and he's in the worship band out there. And we have two daughters, Katie, who lives in Missouri right now, is going to school there, and then my daughter, Ronnie. Great. And what was that question about? Because this was a new one. Yeah, this is a new one. So what are you looking forward to? About this? What are you looking forward to in going through the elder process? Primarily us in Tempe, so probably more about the people and the life of Redemption Tempe. Okay, we, we've, uh, when, the, when East Valley Bible Church and... Um, Praxis merged. Uh, we were at East Valley at the time, and we moved to Tempe, one, because we can walk here from where we live, but really because we really love the, uh, this, this church. We've been attending here since the merger. Um, we like the demographic, and it's just we were always in a 20-somethings ministry anyway, and this is uh, 
most people are in their 20s around here anyway. Like I said, when I come here at 7 o'clock, I'm always the oldest man in the room. At least. At least. Yes. <laughs> Good. Benjamin? Uh, my name is Benjamin Jensen. I'm married to Lacey. We've been married for five years. I'm pretty sure, though, and I'm check. wondering if I should check on that. Um, and we have a daughter named Zoe who just turned three. Uh, we've been down here uh, just over a year, and uh, we came down last October. So uh, it, I'll just say for my wife and I, it's been a, a very big blessing to be here and to be part of Redemption, to be in Tempe. We, we, we love both, uh, but especially Redemption as, uh, just as a, a community of believers who are honest and real and, and love Jesus. And that is what really makes me excited about being here. The people that we've met, the relationships we've already had, even in a year, just really found some great friendships. And then being around the leaders of this church too, uh, both all of Redemption uh, and then Redemption Tempe specifically has been just good for me as a man. That's good. That's good. Uh, just a little bit about these two of these guys personally. So Benjamin came on once a year ago, as he said, as our resident. We have a residency program that mirrors a residency program in, um, if you think about the medical field. And most of the time, we have these residents here to get trained. They provide their own finances and raise own support to be here, to go on to other ministries and other churches or start their own churches. Hardly ever do we think that we're going to hire uh, from one of those residents, but Benjamin was that guy, and it was very gifted. Uh, he can communicate, he could teach, he could lead, he cares about his wife, and um, really could help in uh, redemption communities. We hadn't had one pastor that was leading redemption communities, and now we'll have two with Jim as well as Benjamin as they'll continue to look over uh, theological education. So he'll come on staff with us beginning in January as paid staff, um, primarily looking at redemption communities as well as working with the uh, communications team for all of redemption. And so we're excited about that. He will be a director until he goes to the elder process, and God willing, he'll become an elder here. Whereas with Andy, I met Andy several years ago, and we met, we were doing college ministry, 20-somethings ministry together, um, and I was leading a community and was an intern. And um, at the time, I was dating my wife and had this stupid idea that my wife and I should, or at the time, my girlfriend, should break up for, I really didn't have a good reason, but you know how most 20-somethings, they break up and they say, you know, I really think God was leading me to, so, so, so stupid. And then so, I got I, I talked to Andy, he goes, hey, let's get together. And I'd never met with him one-on-one, and we met early in the morning at a Starbucks, and he basically just looked at me and says, you're an idiot, what are you doing, right? Like, go back with Holly, and that was probably the best advice I've ever gotten, and, uh, and so we've been married, and so we've been, you guys knew that already, um, <laughs> Andy, on the other hand, um, when, we, when, we, when I came over from Gilbert to Tempe, was really excited that him and his wife would come because, one, they've been living in Tempe since 1970. Um, so that's a lot longer than most of us. Never mind. So there's, there's a... Uh, so it was, it was, it's really good to have him. So here's your guys' role as a congregation. Read through First Titus. Uh, there's not a First Titus. Wow. Read through First Timothy. Read through the only Titus. Uh, and you'll see the qualifications of an elder in there. And then um, for us to know, do these men meet those qualifications? So spend time with them, be around them as much as you can, get to know them. And uh, they'll be around for, for, for a while in this process with us. As elders, we are excited to be around them, getting to know them and their families. And uh, it's, it's a blessing. And so any praises or anything, warning or cautions that you guys have, please do let us know. We take this process very seriously because these are the men that will be leading our congregation. And so pray for them as you guys continue to pray for our families uh, in this moment. So that's all I have. Would you guys uh, thank them again as they exit off the stage? All right, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, uh, 1 through 6. Um, hopefully I won't have any other, you know, 
add any other Bibles, books of the Bible to the Bible today. Um, we're we're going to walk through Romans, and we've been walking through the, this, this entire series for several weeks. And for the past maybe five, six, maybe even eight weeks now, Paul has been communicating something that I've found in, in talking with people is not new to us, but we're hearing it different. And what that means is, I think many Christians, and I'm not assuming that all of you in this room are Christians, we have understood that Christ died for our sins and we've been forgiven of our sins by believing in him we'll have eternal life. But when talking about this reign and this new union that we have with Christ and how we are now accepted into this family and how obedience flows from this love, that's something that we're hearing in a different way. And I've been reading through the Bible for years, and even myself, I just sense the presence of God's Spirit at work in our church in so many different ways. And it's evident because we're seeing people who, honestly, weeks ago, who were not Christian, that are trusting in Christ for the first time. We're seeing marriages being mended together. We're seeing people constantly growing and, and sharing their faith. And it's, that's just an act of God, and I'm a believer, and we are a believer, that when you open up this Bible and you teach God's truth, his spirit takes it and applies it to the lives of his people, and then we just begin to continue to celebrate that until Christ comes. And Paul has been communicating that once we were dead in Adam, but now we're alive in Christ. We were once slaves to sin, and now we're slaves to righteousness. We, were, we once gave our bodies as instruments of sin, now we give them as instruments of life. We once cultivated a garden that produced fruits of death, and now we have a garden that produces fruit of life. And so the question that I have for us this morning as we look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, is, is who do we belong to? Who do we belong to? Because who you belong to, who you're in love with, will dictate your actions. When, when you understand that you belong to Christ and you are in love with God and who he is, the obedience will flow from that. That we said before, obedience does not flow from us being afraid of God or afraid of being rejected by God, but true obedience flows from us loving God, being known by God, and it flows from that. And so the question is, who do you belong to? Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Um, one of the things that, that I, I love is listening to people talk about their, their marriages. I feel, I feel like you can learn a lot about people's relationship by hearing people talk about their marriage. And especially for me, I love listening to men talk about their, their, their marriage, and especially those who have been married for 15, 20, 30, 35, 45 years. It's just something very special that, that for me as a young, young guy who's been married for seven, almost seven years is, um, is excited about. The guys on stage have been lying about how long they've been married all day today. Um, the other, this past Wednesday, we got an opportunity to hear from a guy who was married for a long time, and hearing this guy was absolutely amazing. Because on the other hand, what happens is we hear other people talk about their relationships with their, their wives, and it's not helpful. For instance, and some of you guys and some of us have used this, guys, when you refer to your wife as your boss or like your warden, like, that's not good, right? <laughs> it's not good for a couple reasons. One, it's not good because that's not the biblical picture of marriage. And then, as a, especially as a congregation where there's a lot of people who are single, it's like, if you, like, talk about, yeah, I got to go talk to the boss, or I got to go check in with the warden, like, a single guy's going, oh, that's what marriage is like? Oh, yes, I've always wanted a warden, 
right? No, not at all. But what happens is you go, I got to go check in with the boss. I got to do this. And, and usually what that means is there's certain things that I have to do in order that she would get off my back. Or there's certain things I got to do in order for me to get my way in what I want to do. And that's just deeply selfish because it's about you. Meaning you can do all the things that your quote unquote boss or warden is asking you to do in this relationship. But it's really so that you, one, won't have to listen to her or listen to her too much. Or you can go get to do what you want to do. And that's not really a relationship of love. It's not a picture that we see in the Bible of marriage. Or on the flip side, like the man I was telling you about. Um, this guy was speaking to a group of people, and myself and our interns got a chance to listen to him talk. And he, he leads this mega church, thousands and thousands of people, and he starts talking about all the different ministries that they've done and the money they've given away. And, and he says, but listen, all of that is essentially meaningless. Meaning the, the most important thing he says that I have given my church in 30-something years that I've pastored this church is my 45 years of marriage to my wife. He's saying that's the best thing that I could have ever given my church is loving my wife. And there was something special and, and, and delightful of listening to a man who's 65 years old talk about this woman in whom he's been married to for 45 years. And he just went on and on and talking about his wife and, and sometimes in, in very wildly inappropriate language um, for the audience. And I was sitting like, wow, that was inappropriate. But like, right? But at the same time, I'm like, when I'm 65, I'm hoping I'm like, yeah, my wife. Yeah, I was like, that's good, right? Um, and he just loved her. I mean, he just loved her. And, and he talked about how the things that he does with his wife and his families, and it was all flowing from this love, right? He said, even our parenting, which, which Ryan Arneson is going to teach that class, and I'm sure he's going to say basically the same thing. He goes, our parenting, number one, our kids needed most for their dad to love their mom. And they needed their mom to love their dad. And they knew that our love for each other was number one, that they were not going to get in the middle of that, that love for each other. He says, in fact, it's because our love for each other preceded them, and our love's going to be here when they leave. And they have all left the house, he goes, but it's about this love. And as you heard him, you realize everything that he did for his wife were all flowing because he loved her. What Paul has been saying and has been and will continue to say is when it comes to the biblical language of the law or love, that the law is kind of like the first husband who's saying, these are some things I got to do. And I want to do these things because I don't want my wife to bother me. I want to do these things so I can look good or do what I want to do. It's really about you. And that's how many of the people in, in biblical times and even many of us, we use God's imperatives or his law. It's basically for us. Or there's love. That you look to a person and that you, are, you see that person for who they are. And then that person may give you lists, and that person may give you things to say, this is how you express my love, but you only express your love for them because you love them. And what Paul is, is doing here in the first three verses here, this is how this, uh, these verses break down. The first three verses is just an illustration or an analogy he gives us about marriage. And the main point is in verses 4, 5, and 6, and it's essentially ask, answering the question of, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Here's, here's what Paul is saying, and he gives this picture of this analogy a marriage in verse 2 and 3, listen to me. He says, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress, right? And so this is just a picture of Paul saying that this is what the law is like. Now, when he's using the word law here, he's just talking about the law of the land. That it legally, if a man and a woman are married, 
that that woman or even that man cannot just go marry somebody else as long as they're still married because that would be adultery. But Paul says, but if the man dies, now that woman, she's free to give herself to someone else. She's free to belong to another. And then Paul gets into uh, where we're at today, verses 4 through 6, to now explain this point. He says, likewise, or in the same way, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit for God. If you, if you are a marking person and you like to mark things up, I would underline that belong to another. What Paul is communicating is that, one, you have died to the law in Christ. In his death, you died. In his resurrection, you were raised. And that you are no longer under the requirements and demands and condemnation of the law, and you are free, it says that, so that you can give yourself to another. I want you to just pause right there because i got to explain this law. Because oftentimes we sit in, 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 um, in services like this and we read our Bibles and we hear certain language that comes from the stage and it doesn't make sense. And so i got to explain to you the law and why Paul is saying this to his original context. Um, and the best way to explain the law is to tell the story of which we now are a part of, where Paul gets us to. And so the, the background is this. When God creates a world, he creates Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve sin against him. God does not reject or leave his creation, but he decides to renew his creation. We see in Genesis chapter 11 and 12 that he starts to set this long plan of redemption of which he is going to use a people to display his glory to the nations. And the person that he starts with is a man named Abraham, who we learned about a few chapters ago. And he promised Abraham that he would have a nation, he'd have a child that would grow into a nation, and this nation would be God's means to bestow his blessings to the world. And that all other nations would come to know God through this people. Well, as the story progresses, God has a people. And his people are now in captivity in Egypt. That's where we find them in Exodus. And God raises up a young man, an older man at this time, named Moses. And God sovereignly works through Moses to redeem his people out of captivity and slavery in Egypt. And he bring, is bringing them to the promised land. And then what we see in um, Exodus chapter 19 is a clear communication of good news in the Old Testament. And good news is always, always something that has happened and what God has done, and then we live in response to that good news. Again, good news is always something that God has done and his sovereign love and grace, and we respond to it. And so in Exodus 19, God says to the people of Israel, I have redeemed you from the hands of slavery from Egypt. I have carried you out like an eagle's wing. You, and then he gives them identity. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. I mean, you're, you're a nation set apart and a royal priesthood. If you understand the language of priests, priests were always supposed to stand and represent God to the people. He says, you as a nation, your identity, your mission is God's mission to stand in between God and bear good news and who God was to the whole nation. And then after that, God gives them the law. He gives them the Ten Commandments and all the other laws in Leviticus. There's 600 plus laws, and those laws were never given to bring life. Those, God, those laws were never good news. Those laws were saying in response to good news, how you live for me as my people and the way the nation would know me is here are these laws as you move into this new land, that you'd protect yourself from idolatry, that you would understand how to grow in relationship and express your love for me. And so they have these 600 and plus laws that the people have. Well, Israel, as you read through the Bible, fails in its mission. 
And by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, we're left with the thought that there's no way that God's ever going to redeem this world through his people unless the one who created the world came into this world again. And that's what we have in Christ. And so we pick up here when Paul is saying, likewise, we're dead to the law is that the people who would have first heard Paul's letter read, they would have looked at the law as the reason for why they obeyed, which is wrong. Is that they were looking at the law as the meaning, the way that we would cure our problem of sin is by more laws and more rules, which was wrong. And then when Paul begins preaching the gospel and saying, no, it's by grace through faith, they're saying, wait a minute, if you remove the law, then why would people obey? Because their thought was people only obey because they're afraid of God. They only obey because that's the way to get God to love them. And Paul is saying, no, you got a problem. And we have that same problem. Many of us think, we think that laborers are the best lovers. When the truth of the matter, lovers are actually the best laborers. Let me say that in a different way. Is that many of us think that if we work really hard, that's how we know we love. And what, what Paul is saying is, no, when you realize how much you are loved, that's how you work. When you understand how much you are loved by the Father, that's how you work. The law was placed, one re- re- way was to f- refrain sin. To, to, um, refrain sin. Um, it's kind of like when you think about um, a, speed, a speed sign that says, you know, 40 miles per hour. Like, that doesn't make people drive um, at 40 miles, but it reminds them, hey, you know what, there, there, there's consequences for this. And so most people drive 45 or 50 miles per hour. Most people don't drive 90 miles per hour through there, hopefully. The law was also given to reveal God's character. The law was also given so that we would realize we never could have lived up to the law, so we needed a Savior. And the law required righteousness, of which we had none, Romans chapter 3. And the, the law, because we didn't live up to it, demanded condemnation, but what Paul says is now Jesus becomes our righteousness for us. And then Paul's also going to say in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So when you hear this law, the law no longer is bad news to us that God is after us. It never was. But it's good news now. We're dead to it, no longer having to live up to it, and we're freed in Christ Jesus. And so read this again with that lens, understanding where we are as the church and that part of the story to display the love of Christ, to live in the love of Christ. It says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you belong to another. Who you belong to matters. We don't belong to lines and lists and rules. We belong to Jesus. We don't belong to a set of standards. Christ is the standard and Christ is in us. What Paul is saying here is you belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that you may bear fruit for God. He's saying, again, this union with Christ, what matters is who you belong to. If you are autonomous, a law unto yourself, you're on your own. But if you're in Christ Jesus and you trusted in the work that he's doing and what he's done and what he's going to do, that's good news. It matters who you belong to. Paul is saying we are in him. This is a union that we have with Christ. What is said of him is said of us. That the same outstanding supreme love that the Father has had for the Son for all eternity, now we have too and we share in that in Christ Jesus. It's a union. It's a reason why I think Paul uses his marriage illustration because there's no better illustration to communicate the union that we have than that of marriage. And in fact, hold your place here in Romans and turn to the right a few books. Um, to, to Ephesians. So to go first, second Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians, first Titus. No, I'm just joking. 
Ephesians chapter 5, I'll give you some time to get there because it's not going to be up on the screen. Um, Paul, talking about marriage and speaking of this union of us belonging to Christ, here's what he says first talking about marriage in verse 31 and 32. He quotes from Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He's saying this two becoming one, it's a profound mystery, this mystical union. And he said, I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church, meaning that in the same way that when I got married to Holly, that the two of us became one. And that that her desires and her passions and her thoughts are now my desires and passions and her interests are mine and so forth. That that we are one. And when you are growing closer in a relationship with your spouse, that you are one. You you, you share things and you share in the things. And so I can share in her joys and she can share in my joys. And I can share in her sorrows and I can share in her uh, sorrows. And sours too. (laughs) Right? And, and there, there, there's this union there, and, and Paul is saying there's this mystical union that we have with Christ, that we are in him. One of the best songs that we sing that communicates this is the song that we sing second today, and it was Rock of Ages, Clip for Me, Let Me Hide Myself in Thee. Like, we are so in Christ Jesus that when the Father sees you, he sees Jesus. The Father is so impressed with Jesus, therefore the Father is so impressed with you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. Now think about the opposite of that when it comes to your sin. When we find ourselves looking at our sin more than we look at our Savior, we, we realize the muck of our sin, but we don't understand the height of his glory and grace. That Our Father is not saying, look at you, did it again. He's constantly still seeing Jesus, that we are in him. And that's not a license to do whatever you want, which is what Paul's people accuse him of. He says, no, but when you understand that love, there's a different type of life that flows from there. When you understand that you have made a covenant commitment, that you are in love with someone, that you are now dead to something else. Those of you guys who are married here, those of you women who are married here, when you marry your spouse, you were telling every other potential spouse, no more potential, bro. He put a ring on it, right? (laughs) Done. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, 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 right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's in that's in first titus <laughs> you're you're <laughs> come on guys come on there's uh you're done i'm dead to that because i'm in love with this man because i'm in love with this woman and then what happens when you guys are in love with each other you know when you're in love with someone you you want to display that love and so obedience in itself is displaying the love of God because of how love you are in love with him. And so you live into his kingdom intentions. And so here's what Paul says here in verse 4 uh, regarding who you belong to. He finishes with says, we belong to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God and fruit of God. So it means there's something that we do. So we do obey, but we don't obey because of a list of rules. We obey because we look at a person and we want to display that love. And think of it, um, on Thursday night, my wife and I, we went on a date, and uh, we really wanted to go to a really romantic place to be able to watch Stanford versus Oregon. And, and so we went, we were walking around um, in, um, in this place in Scottsdale to get to the, 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 the nice restaurant that we were going to. And, um, you know, on Scottsdale and in um, Camelback, um, by the mall, there's like this little river there. 
that, um, that God created. No, we created. We're Arizonians. We create our rivers. <laughs> and and uh, we were walking by there, and it was really nice, and there's like these young 20-something dudes and stuff walking around. And I'm with my wife, and she looks great. She really does. And I'm holding her hand, and I'm watching these dudes look at my wife. And I'm like, that's right. Like, <laughs> but that's my wife. And if you continue to do that, I'm going to put hands on you, right? There's just like this... <laughs> But like, I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, yeah, this is my wife. She's, 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 she's my wife. She's beautiful. Or what happens is when you start having kids, right, and you guys know this is that time of the year, uh, whether you're married or not, you know, you're going to start receiving the Christmas cards of people and their kids, right? And they, they want to display, look at what our family looks like now. Like, remember the last year we gave you this? Look at us now. <laughs> and you're going to take those cards and you're going to put, like, you put all of them in that little circle thing somewhere in the back, you know. Uh, and, like, you're all so excited. And we're, I get it. I'm not making fun of people who do that. I, we do the same thing. We're going to do it. Um, every so often, some families, some of you guys in this room, and I'm not discouraging you not to do this. I'm just saying this happens, is that you'll give an update on what's happening in the family. And so everything that's happened in the last year. Little Johnny got potty trained, and let me tell you how it was. <laughs> and then this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and then and it's like, oh, my gosh. But there's something about the, that man and that woman that they got married, they produce a family, and they want to put that on display. And there's nothing wrong with that because they love each other. When it comes to obedience, it, it is not lists. It is not laws. It's a person. When you see how much the father loves his son. And you, when you understand and when I understand and we understand how much we are loved by the father, and we understand this union that we have, this unbreakable, unpenetrable union that we have and that God has what he says in chapter 5, verse 5, that he's taken the Holy Spirit and he's poured his love into our hearts that we may understand this and what he says the next chapter that the Spirit testifies with our spirit and it cries out, it's not a whisper, that we are children, that we are sons and daughters of our Father and Jesus as our elder brother and he died so that we died to sin and died to the law and that he was raised from the dead and he gives us this new life. Man, you want to put that on display. And the way that you live into that love is by producing this fruit that the Holy Spirit of God produces in us, and it changes everything. And so living as a Christian is being able to display the fruit of God and who God is and his, attention, his, his intentions for this world. And um, just a picture of this, um, and not to put this guy on blast, but when this looks like when a community takes these things up, is that Jim Mullins, who you guys know, remember he's holding the turkey up here earlier? Um, Jim Mullins saw on the news, and you guys probably saw this a few weeks ago, that there was this bike game that went around and like jumped some people. And then Jim, who's, who always thinks of creative ways to love people, thought, how can we do that? And so he, he got a bunch of, like, hipsters in our, in our community and said, hey, how about we get on our bikes in Tempe, and we're going to go around, and we're just going to bless people. And they did that yesterday. And that they got on their bikes, and they drove around. And one of the things they did is they stopped the orbit bus. And the guy was heated, like, what are you guys doing? And they went on and said, hey, thanks for, like, providing these riots for people. And they tipped them $200. And then they went to Cartel, which is like a coffee place that no one smiles at anybody. And, and they went there, and they just, they just like over-tipped these baristas, right? And, and just went around blessing people. They picked up a dog feces at Mitchell Park. I mean, they're just going around saying, listen, our God's going to redeem this world, and our God's an over-blessing people. We were so over-blessing Christ, and that begins to look like the fruit because of how much we love God. 
when we see brokenness, we want to say that there is a new life that has entered into us individually, uh, but there's also a new life that has entered into this world by the power of Christ Jesus, and it starts with this union that we have and that we produce the fruit of God because we're loved by God. Amen? That, that, That displays good news to people. Well, you know what? Many of us, we don't live into that love. And, and, and there's some of us be, that maybe you're not Christian, or definitely those of us who are Christian before we're Christian, that's not the way that we looked at God, or even a relationship with God. We looked at it as lines and laws and lists. And then when we live into that, what Paul says is now there's death that comes from that. Because you're not belonging to him, you're belonging to someone else, namely probably your own self. In fact, look at, look at verse 5 with me. He says, for while we were living in the flesh, or living in our own way, our sinful passions and or desires and affections aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit of death. Now what Paul is saying, and we're going to come back next week and impact this more, he's not saying that the law was the issue. He's saying what sin did in us because our affections were so bent towards ourselves that it just seized the opportunity and used the law to actually allow us to produce fruit of death. You say, how does that work? Um, growing up in Southern California, one of the coolest things about living near L.A. is that there's downtown L.A. Though it's changing now, um, it used to be where you can get all the name brand stuff that you wanted. It just wasn't really name brand stuff. It was all counterfeit, right? And you'd get all the fake stuff, the fake Nikes, the fake Vans, the fake everything. It was amazing. It's like, where'd you get that? Oh, I bought it at this really high-end store. Why? You know? And, and, and what you realize in that is when it comes to some of the highest brands that you can think of, whether it's Gucci or Louis Vuitton or Fat Farm, whatever the, whatever the, like the high-end stuff, <laughs> their biggest competitor, are, they're not each other. Like their biggest threat is not each other. The biggest threat to Prada is imitation Prada. Like the biggest threat to Louis Vuitton is imitation or counterfeit. And when it comes to Christianity and gospel living, the biggest threat are not those who just reject God. The biggest threat are those who imitate it and it's counterfeit and it's void of love. When it comes to a really healthy marriage, like my wife can write out some things and say, here's ways that you can express love for me, which we always say, what are the ways I can express love for you? Because those things change when you get married. Like before we got kids, this is weird. Before we, we, didn't, before we had kids, um, my wife's like love language was touch. And I remember going through counseling and premarital counseling, and they're saying, hey, you know, that can change. But it was like she wanted to hold my hand all the time and wanted me to put my arm around her. And I wasn't, you know, I didn't like, I didn't like, I didn't like that, right? And then they said, you know, once you have kids, you know, a woman sometimes, touch is not it. And like now, my love language, only with my wife, is touch, right? It's like I come home and like she's like handing me kids and I'm like dropping the kids. Like give me a, give me a hug. I just want a hug. Hold my hand, right? It's like, what's going on? And then we, what we talk about, we talk about how to exp- you know, express love. And so she can write certain things that I can do, which usually involve taking the boys, um, taking the boys, and then usually taking my boys out of the house away from her, far away, right? And, and that shows her love, right? Well, here's the thing. I can go about and do all those things, and you guys can go, wow, what a good husband. And people can say, wow, he takes care of his kids. He, he takes them far away from his wife, and, and that's a man of God, Right? And, 
and I could just be doing it for all the wrong reasons. Like I really could be doing it because what I want is to be able to hang out with my boys later that night. And then I can go to her, but hey, remember earlier when I, <laughs> I took those boys away, right? <laughs> well, now I want to go hang out with my boys, right? So it's kind of like this contract, not a covenant. The biggest um, um, threat to biblical gospel living is counterfeit, that some of you are just going through the motions. What Paul is saying is what many people use the law for is what happens is we really want autonomy, which is a law unto yourself. Because your sinful desires and passions, normally when we hear those, that word sinful passions that we read here in verse 5, we, we think of uh, sins that we read about in Romans 1, like people partying and, and being uh, drunk all the time and sexual sins. Like that, that's part of it. But there's equally sinful desires that want to look like godly people for themselves. They're not in love with it. And know how you can tell? Is that when you gauge your own spiritual temperature, there's a vibrancy that's lacking in your life. Like you could totally check out on spiritual things because you're like, I already know how to do that. I've already done that. And usually you're not in any like really bad sins and you're okay. You're not struggling with any addictions and you're just kind of going through the motions. And you know the scariest, scariest verse in the entire Bible is in Matthew chapter 7. Because when Jesus goes to these people who have been just doing religious activities apart from knowing and loving him, that he says that day, and that day when you meet Jesus face to face, he says in that day there will be those who will go, God, didn't we, didn't we like cast out demons in your name? Didn't, didn't, we, didn't we do mighty works in your name? Didn't we do all these really spiritual things? And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Like I never knew you. Like you had this, this understanding in your head that you were married to me, but you never were. Like we were never in a relationship because it would be in a relationship, that means there's love there. And everything flows from love. You are actually doing that for yourself. And, and, and it, it's easier, um, I found, when I'm ministering to people. So outside of redemption, uh, one of the things that I do is I, I work with, finally, an amen. <laughs> the kids get it. <laughs> Is that when I'm, I'm, working with, I'm working with people who are usually um, not in church, and that a, lot of, a lot of people with like athletes and stuff and coaches and whatnot, and it's so much easier to talk to them about them being away from God because it's like so clear. I think sometimes the hardest are those who it looks like it's there. And you've heard me say this before. It's like those ornamental oranges that are here in Arizona. They grow on a tree. They smell like an orange. They look like an orange. You peel it like an orange. And as soon as you bite into it, you go, this is not an orange at all, right? <laughs> but it looks good. And some of you look really good, like behaviorally, like you're doing all the right things. But Paul says, if it's not done out of love, um, you, it, it produces a fruit of death. So you always have to check your heart. Am I doing this because I belong to myself and I make, I make the rules? Or am I doing this because I belong to God and I'm in love with him because he first loved me? Amen? That's a gut check for, for those of you, for those of us, mainly people like church people, people who are usually in services day a weekly. And Paul says it could be death. Um, when it comes to me loving my wife, when um, my wife doesn't have to do anything for me to love her, like, she just has to be my wife. Like, I'm, I appreciate the way she cares for me and the boys. I appreciate the way she cares for some of the women here in this congregation. I appreciate all of those things, but that those things don't make me love her. I love her because she's my wife. All she has to do is be my wife. And in a bigger picture is we don't have to do anything for our father to love us. 
Like, have you ever thought that you have to do something right now? You might be struck in, stuck in something, a particular sin or some doubt or whatever. I don't know what your issue may be. You may say, man, I wonder what I need to do for God. You don't have to do anything for God to love you. All you got to do is be his child. And the way that you, be, you become his child is by looking to his, his only son, his old, our older brother in Christ and what he's done on our behalf. God's not saying there's something you need to do. I've given you this Bible so you can do these things for, for, for me to love you. It's like, no, 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 I've given you this Bible because I love you. And I want you to know it. And I want you to live into that love. And that's what a child, that's what a follower of Jesus, what a disciple of Jesus does because they're in love with the Father through Jesus. Amen? The, the, the last thing what Paul gives us here in answering the question of who we belong to, mainly Christ in this union, is how do we do it? Like, that, that sounds great, but there are imperatives of Scripture. Like, there are things that we do. We do need to display the fruit of God, but, like, do we do it with our own strength? How do we do this? And what most people think is that's why law is good. Because when people are not living for God, we can give them more laws, and then they, they, they can learn, like, that's wrong and that's right. Do this, don't do that. However, you looked at Jesus. When Jesus came into this world, after already given the law, Jesus did not come to give new laws. Jesus came to give new life. He came to give, to give new life for us. And, and in fact, um, if you don't, don't need to turn there because it may take longer than you need to, but Jeremiah 31, it should be on the screen. And talking about the spirit of Christ. This was Jeremiah prophesying about the days in which we live in now. And in Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 31, I told you guys 31, Jeremiah 31, I'm convinced that it's going to be 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the last, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God says there's a day coming where he will write the law in our hearts. He would become our motivation. And what he was prophesizing about was the day in which the Holy Spirit would indwell in the lives of his people. But that was not something that the people of Israel had. But the inauguration of that was through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And he said, the way that my people will continue out my, my mission in drawing the nations into this world, that what God is doing in redeeming this world is that he'd pour out his spirit. And Paul says this in verse 6 of Romans. But now, now that you are united with Christ, but now... Now that you know the love of the Father, but now you are released from the law, having died to that which led us, held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Meaning the Spirit is what Paul, or excuse me, what Jeremiah was prophesizing. When it comes to how are we going to live a life, it's not by God saying, give them more laws. It's saying, I'm going to give them myself. That the Father gave us his Son and the Son gave us his Spirit. 
And that the Holy Spirit lives in every single person that trusts in Jesus. And the reason why we obey and the reason why we can wrestle with our own sin is not because we have more laws and lists and things to do. It's because we have the lover and the love of the lover that lives in us by the Holy Spirit. And that we can access God through the Spirit, through the work of Christ. And so obedience flows from this love, not out of rejection or fear of rejection, not to try to impress God. God's already impressed with us because he's impressed with Jesus. And now we carry out this mission, meaning we obey God. We display these fruits by the Spirit of Christ that is at work within us. And so I want you to close your Bibles. I give you just... A couple of implications from this. We're going to come to the table right now in just a moment, and you're going to take communion. We do this every week. But um, sometimes we need to be reminded who it is that we belong to. And maybe for some of you, you may, for the first time, belong to Jesus by trusting in him and understanding the love of the Father that God has given you through Christ. But for most of us, all communion is, for the most part, there's symbols that we have with the bread and then the wine is that it's, it's a symbol of the broken body of Christ and his blood. But what Jesus says is, often as you do this, proclaim my name. And it's saying we are recommitted. It's a covenant renewal. That we are re- renewal, we're just renewing our vows every single week and saying, God, you are ours and we are yours. And I think it'd be fitting for those of you who are married in this room, that as you come forward, that you just do the same thing even in your marriage. That maybe you come with your wife and just say, hey, I, I just... I want to confess before God and before you that I am with you and you're mine and I am yours. And the way that we will continue in this marriage is by the strength of God. And then for all of us as we take and we partake in this, remember that our strength and our delight is not in pleasing God through rules, but understanding that our joy comes in Christ Jesus and therefore we obey. Amen? Let's pray.